My dear friends, welcome to another episode of the Shema podcast. And what I believe to be the most important podcast that I ever have done. It's quite frankly long overdue. I don't you know why I never thought of this before, but this is a transformative episode and you'll see why. Welcome to the Shema podcast, the podcast for the perplexed where Torah insights intertwine through personal stories as well as interviews with leading Torah scholars demonstrate the empowering qualities of Torah and mitzvot. For more great Torah learning through Torch, the Torah Outreach Center of Houston, go to torchweb.org. Now to the show. The most important mitzvah for a Jew to do Not that I'm sure we're allowed to rank them, but I think any rabbi would say this to someone who's a secular Jew, who's trying to take the path to come closer to their creator and learn Torah and observe it. The most important mitzvah and biggest milestone is keeping Shabbos. Shabbos, I believe, is the second most mentioned mitzvah in the Torah. Behind that, I believe, of only to love the gear, to love the convert. It is in the Ten Commandments. After we are instructed to know Hashem, to know Him as not the one that created the world, but to really know Him more importantly as the one that extracted us out of Egypt. To know via the Second Commandment that He is the only power. And then we have the Third Commandment to make sure that we don't ever say anything that would misrepresent him to others and cause them to not recognize this truth. And the fourth is to keep the Shabbos, to honor the Shabbos. Because to keep and honor the Shabbos is our demonstration that we acknowledge the first three mitzvot in the Ten Commandments. And it says that a Jew is spiritually cut off from the nation when they don't keep Shabbos. So we're going to explore like what this means, what this is all about. But the main point I want to address is and convey to everyone is it is the most challenging mitzvah to take on. Now, I realize many of you listening are from from birth. You've always kept Shabbos or you may be in the category of those who were like me, who were secular, but then went to uh, yeshiva where you learn to be observant in the incubator of a yeshiva. But for those of us who wake up from the matrix, if you will, and realize I want to start keeping Shabbos, it is the most challenging thing. And I'm not referring to the complexities of the halakha. I'm talking about the battle that ensues with one's Yetzirah. The Yetzirah knows that if a Jew starts keeping Shabbos, while ongoing life battles with the Yetzirah will continue, as we need that in order to continue to grow, the fact is, is that the war by the Jew has already been won. So the Yetzirah does not want to lose this beachhead. And from personal experience, there's many tactics that we'll use. For one, if like I was early on, I started to actually learn about what Shabbos meant and what you were required to do and not do. But I kept telling myself, well, that's something that 
I can do later. I mean, I'm doing good. I'm studying Torah on a regular basis. I'm learning to do some things like, you know, I, I removed shellfish and pork from my diet. I'm taking Musar classes. And these things are all fantastic. I'm not denigrating those at all. They're huge steps. Applaud yourself if you're doing those things. But what I'm telling you is, as you begin to contemplate taking on the mitzvah Shabbos, the Yetzer Hurrah will trick you. And it will say, look, you're doing great. You're taking a Masar class. You're studying Parsha. It's like it has thrown you a bone. It just wants you to gnaw on that bone and be satisfied. Just don't start talking about keeping Shabbos. Because once you do, your Yetzer Hurrah goes DEFCON 1. It knows that it cannot lose that precious beachhead it has over you. I want to talk about why this is so important and why the Yetzer Hurrah does not want a Jew to keep Shabbos. Our neshamas are like branches. We've discussed this before. And we studied in last week's Parsha Noah the 70 nations, the 70 branches of souls that come into this world. And as a Jew, as a descendant of Avraham, Yitzchak, and Yochov, because of their merit and what they accomplished, that created a new branch of souls, a much more powerful branch, which also means Jewish neshamas have a much more powerful Yetzer Harah to create and allow free will to exist in this world. So one of the things that I was just contemplating quite a bit in my early studies that was reconciling with what I had learned by studying quantum mechanics, congealing together, you know, this whole idea that every single thing in our physical universe is at its core fundamental building blocks is different vibrational frequencies. I've discussed this before, but for those of you who are just listening for the first time or just to sort of bring it back into context for this subject, I'm going to discuss it again. But everything, if you look at string theory, everything is built off different vibrational frequencies. Everything in the entire physical universe, from the, the star that's on the opposite end of the universe to the desk sitting in front of me, it's all built off the same thing. It's all built off, as Ramchal teaches, the binary code of God's revelation and God's concealment of himself and the programming code, which is the different combinations of the sounds of the Hebrew letters. That is what the creator is emanating at all times to bring everything and maintain everything into existence. Everything in the physical universe, in the spiritual realms, there is nothing else but him. And we have this experience by being in this world where we are inside of a physical body that does not give us sensory perception. It limits our sensory perception. And therefore, what we see is a lot of distinct separation between us and other things around us. But the reality is that is not true. And I used to spend a lot of time thinking about what was going through the mind of Nachshon, as he was standing at the Sea of Reeds. He is the one that, as the Egyptian army is approaching, the Jewish people are at the Sea of Reeds. Moshe was davening. Hashem told him, it's not a time to daven. It's a time to act. And I imagine Hashem just sort of had this 
epiphany. He saw everything. He totally understood. There is nothing else but God. And he is controlling everything. He is the only power. And he knew the creator did not give a decree to kill the Jews, but just the opposite, to save us. And so he began to walk in the water, to walk in the direction away from the Egyptian army, because he knew he could not drown. There was no decree by the creator for him to die. So as he began to walk, the laws of nature had to suspend themselves. The laws of gravity had to stop working and the water began to move out of his way. It did not occur like it was depicted in the movie, The Ten Commandments with Charlton Heston, where the water just splits up. It created a tunnel for him. And when the other Jewish people saw what was happening, each tribe started walking in the water behind each other, creating 12 tunnels. But those tunnels did not feed through all the way to the other side. They kept moving. The water kept moving back each inch by inch as each leader moved forward. And when they got to the other side, through these tunnels of water is why what happened in those tunnels were akin to a birth canal. Because when they came through the other side, they had an entirely different perception. They had a a recognition of the real truth, the reality of what is happening in this world. But I want to share with you something that happened to me. I had been reading about this whole idea that Hashem is the only power, that he controls everything, and deeply contemplating it. And I went out to run an errand, still thinking about this during the drive. I got to, admit it, a liquor store, needed a new bottle of scotch. And I walked in sort of oblivious to anything going on around me. I walked to the aisle where the shelf was with that bottle of scotch I wanted and grabbed it. And then I walked back to the front of the store and saw a cashier that was standing in front of the register with no one in front of her. So I immediately just sort of walked up to where she was standing to pay for the scotch. The entire time, just contemplating this idea of what Nassan was experiencing as he walked into the water with this recognition that he can't drown in the water if Hashem did not decree that he should die but just the opposite. All of a sudden, I hear someone yelling at me and I turn around to see a man that looked and was definitely acting like someone that uses lots of steroids. The guy was like huge, muscle-bound guy and he was like fanatically yelling at me. And the reason he was yelling at me was because I had cut in line. I didn't realize it. I saw it now. There was a line of people standing back from the register, and they were watching the two different aisles to see which one opened up, and then they would step in that line. I didn't realize that was going on. But so he starts yelling at me, and I recognize that, and I apologize, but that was not good enough for this guy. He got in my face, leaned forward, and was screaming about how he wanted to take me outside and beat the crap out of me. And the whole time, because I was so in my head on this matter of Hashem controls everything, is I was not reacting to it. I was almost like watching a film that I was not a part of. And I was just looking at him, thinking to myself how Hashem just took what I had been learning 
and was giving me an opportunity to make it experiential. And so as this man is yelling at me, all I was thinking about was, this is so fascinating. This man cannot hit me unless my creator decreed that he should hit me. And if my creator decreed that he should hit me, meaning to use this man as a stick for his sake, then I deserve to get hit. And wouldn't I rather get retribution for something I have done in this world, the next world? And the answer is, of course. So if everything that the Almighty does is for my good, in the end, there's really nothing I should be responding to. And so this man is flailing his arms. He's yelling, threatening to beat me up. And the whole time, the natural thing that would normally occur where my body would go into a state of you're in danger, adrenaline dump, my ego, i.e. my Yetzirah, would say, don't let this guy talk to you. Yeah, he's way bigger than you, but you know how to fight dirty. You know, you just got to get a few punches in. So don't let him challenge you like this. Step outside with this guy. But I was not doing that. I was just internalizing this whole amazing experience that he could not harm me unless my benevolent creator authorized him to do so. And as he was like in my face, again, his forehead was like almost touching my forehead as he was leaning over me yelling. And I was just contemplating this. It probably looked very strange to an outsider that I'm just in my head thinking about something as this jacked up steroid freak is yelling at me. But eventually, as I was contemplating this, I was looking in his eyes and I was seeing how his eyes were just like crazed. But then all of a sudden, I saw the look in his eyes went to that of fear and terror. And it wasn't me. I mean, guys, I'm barely 5'9 with shoes on, okay? Not a nimbusing looking individual by any means. I probably looked a little strange, maybe a little psychotic that I was not reacting to any of this. But he went literally his eyes. I saw it in his eyes. It went to terror. He stepped back from me, put down the case of beer he was holding, and just walked out of the store. And I turned to those people standing in line. I said, I am so sorry. I did not know you were standing there. Please go ahead and I'll go to the back of the line. And everyone put their hands out and said, no, 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 no. It's okay. Now, by the way, while he was yelling at me, I did hear people saying, leave the guy alone. (laughs) He was a mistake. But at this point, they all said, no, 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 no. You go ahead. And they insisted. I said, okay, thank you. And I just walked to the cashier paid for my bottle of scotch, and left the store, just really appreciating how this idea that I've been contemplating, that the Almighty allowed me to experience it. And you'll see how this ties in. But I want to share one more story with you. And by the way, this is all before I started keeping Shabbos. And these two events, these two experiential learning curriculums the Almighty provided for me happened very closely to one another. The other experience was I had been for over 10 years a volunteer guardian ad litem for child protective services. And basically what this meant was I would volunteer to represent children in child protective services because the CPS caseworkers would move in and out. I mean, there was such high turnover. Like these cases would last about 12 to 15 months and 
I'm not kidding you. There would be like three at minimum CPS workers that I would deal with. They would come in, then they would quit. They would come in, they would quit. So I was the constant figure in these kids' life. And being an idealist, one of the things I wanted for these kids was I wanted to unify the family. I believe I could work with the parents, get them to do the things they need to do to bring the family back together. I, the idea of having the judge ask me if I think that parental rights should be terminated was the most horrifying idea in the world. Because for a kid, even in a bad situation, to have their parents pulled away from them is still an awful awful experience. I can just imagine. But I believe I can, I can unify these families. And I knew the judge held a lot of weight on what I had to say because I was the constant. I didn't have a stick in the game. I'm not getting paid. I'm a volunteer. So in one of these cases, the children were taken away because the father punched the daughter. And so the son and the daughter were taken away. And the judge told this man that if he wants to get his kids back, he needs to take anger management classes makes sense to me. And as I was sitting with him in a meeting, I asked him, have you been taking your anger management classes? And he said, no, I haven't taken them. I'm not going to take them. I said, well, why not? Because the the judge ordered that you need to do this. And he said, look, I don't need anger management classes. The judge is wrong. And I said, "I, I get it. That may be the case, but you want your kids back, right? And he would say, of course. It's like, well, Taking the anger management classes is something you need to do to get back your kids. You may learn something. You may not. Just go. And he said, I'm telling you again, I'm not going to anger management classes because I don't need anger management. And we had this circular conversation probably three or four times. Maybe I could have done a better job of re-scripting the conversation because it seemed just to go in the same circular pattern. But at one point, and by the way, this man was not like this jacked up steroid guy from the liquor store, but he was a very tall guy and his hobby outside of work was mixed martial arts fighting. And he stood up over me, looked down at me and screamed at the top of his lungs. I'm going to clean this language up for all of you, my holy brothers and sisters, but you can read between the lines. He screams at me. I don't need anger management. If you tell me one more time that I need anger management, I'm going to rip your effing head off your shoulders and defecate in it. And at that moment, my friends, I was afraid. I was horrified. But once again, not at the man. The reason I was horrified is because what I had also been studying is why Hashem created the Yetzirah and the power it has and the necessity of to keep us free will, but the power it can really have over us. And I was horrified to see a Yetzirah in action and the power it can have over us. I mean, here's a man doing the most irrational thing in the world. He's telling me that he doesn't need anger management while simultaneously telling me he wants to, and I know he did, rip my head off its shoulders and poop in my skull. So I'm seeing this in... I'm realizing that and understanding the power of my Yetzirah. And I was like, I became frightened of my Yetzirah. I saw the power it has over me. Now, maybe not the same way, but I know in other ways it definitely did. So when I was driving home, I was contemplating about this. 
And I was telling myself, you need to know who your enemy is and you need to face it and do battle with it. Know its tricks. You just saw what it can do to a man. And I began to think about Shabbos, something I had been thinking about taking on for quite some time. I had been having this internal dialogue about, okay, well, eventually I'm going to get there. I'll pick up some learning about the halakha around Shabbos. And, but it takes some prep time. You know, I, I'll get there eventually. This has been going on for over several years now, keep in mind. But I've, I was eventually going to get there. As long as that eventual date wasn't next Shabbos. And I was contemplating this and realizing how I'd been losing this battle with my Yetzirah. And I asked myself, what in the world are you deliberating? What is happening in this boardroom of your mind? The debate back and forth. Let's cut it down and bring clarity to the situation here. You are a creation and your creator told you to keep Shabbos. Not according to how you want to keep Shabbos where you say, hey, I'm just not going to mow the lawn on Shabbos or I'm not going to go into the office on Shabbos. No, he wants you to keep Shabbos according to his dictates. Avoiding those 39 acts of creativity and all the various ways to bring honor to the Shabbos. So I said, what are you waiting for? What is there to consider? Your Almighty told you to do something, do it. And at that moment, I said, this next Shabbos, I have to keep Shabbos. Now, I didn't know all the halakha around it, but I knew just I was going to do the absolute best I can. You know, our Yiddishkeit does not work with the attitude of perfection. Our Yetzirah will use that against us. That's what it was doing with me. Oh, when I keep Shabbos the first time, I want to do it perfect. And you know what? I don't know the laws yet, so I should learn every law, every intricate law. Then I'll do it. That was the argument and the deliberation going on in my head, which is nonsense. So we began to get ready. I told my family, they're on board. And I remember calling Rabbi Yokoff Wobi and Rabbi Ari Wobi, like the first of that week, so many times saying, we're going to keep Shabbos. I have this question. They said, you call us as many times as you want. And I was calling them. My wife was calling Haya Wobi and Zahava Wobi, Rabbi Ari and Rabbi Yokoff Wobi's wife. We were asking questions nonstop. As we got closer to Shabbos, the calls accelerated. All the way up into an hour before candle lighting. I think back of that too. It's just like, it blows me away because I never really thought of it until now. Like what was going on in their world? And Rabbi Ari Wolby and Rabbi Yokoff Wolby's world. I mean, they have Shabbos to get ready for. They have lots of kids. They're hosting lots of torch students at their home. There's, I'm sure, chaos going on, but they hid that from me. And whenever I would call, they would, with the smiles, like, yes, what, what questions do you have? I'm here to help. Just brings tears to my eyes thinking about how they did that for me. And hid, I'm sure, what was total craziness in their home, trying to get ready for Shabbos themselves. So the point I want to make with both these stories and tie them together is that, back to my original point, when the Yetzirah does not want you, if you're listening, you're not keeping Shabbos, to keep Shabbos. Because... When you keep Shabbos and you recognize that I am a creation of my creator, and therefore I'm not going to create, what you are doing is that neshama tied to that branch of souls becomes firmly connected. Before that, there's a connection, but it's just not nearly as strong. As the Torah says, the soul is cut off 
in the Jewish nation. You're not tapped in. You're not tapped in. And that's why the Yetzirah does not want you to keep Shabbos, does not want you to get tapped in at that way and see the world for what it really is. To see the world like Nassan saw it as he was walking through the sea and the sea was moving out of his way. He does not want us to come to that recognition of truth. And that is why when you pursue this, it will feel like you are storming the beaches of Normandy. But what I want to share with you, my friends, is that when you are storming that beach and it's scary, the reality is, is all those soldiers up on the beach, they're paper mache. The rockets and missiles and gunfire you hear, it's all an illusion. None of it is there. The majority of the arguments I heard were things like, you may need to attend a business. What happens to someone from work calls? Right there. What is that? Think back. One of the first times Shabbos is mentioned is after manna fell from the heavens. And Hashem said, on Erev Shabbos, you'll get two. And then he tells us to keep Shabbos because he wanted us to know, I provide your sustenance. I provide it all. So when you have a thought in your head, I can't keep Shabbos because I may need to go into work or I may even get fired. What are you saying? You're saying Hashem is not the one that provides for you which is exactly why you need to keep Shabbos so you have that true recognition that it's not your earthly employer that's providing anything. It's not flesh and blood. A lot of the other things that go through your head was, well, I should have my phone on. I mean, what happens if my parents need me? I need to drive out and see them. I mean, they're older. What happens if they have a health problem? Again, these are all things that are absent of recognition that Hashem is controlling everything. So all the arguments on why we shouldn't keep Shabbos are the exact same things that and reasons why we should keep Shabbos to recognize that Hashem is controlling everything. So what I wanted to do with this podcast, and I I want to make this a two-series podcast. One is setting the table, if you will, for this subject and why it's so important to you. And in episode two, what I'll be doing is bringing on Rabbi Busco and several of his students that are wanting to take on this mitzvah. And what we are going to do together, my friends, is they're going to address their concerns, what's holding them back. And we are going to walk through those one by one. I am sure between this audience will be anything that's ever gone through your mind that's kept you from keeping Shabbos, from grabbing this beachhead away from the Yetzirah that allows you to win the war, although you'll always have battles. But we're going to do this together. We're going to tear down all the illusionary arguments that's keeping you from getting plugged in from that branch of souls of Avraham, Yitzchak, and Yokov to be tied in at the strongest level to your creator. Now, I know many of you are listening who are keeping Shabbos. You may be asking, why am I even listening to this? I already keep Shabbos. Yes, my friend. But don't we have a responsibility as the Jewish people are all connected to help out our brothers and sisters in their growth. I think this episode and the part two of it is the perfect podcast to share with the Jew who's struggling with this, who wants to take this next step, but can't seem to find the resolve to do so. So share it with them. I've been doing this podcast for over several years now. Just in case you don't know it, please know, I don't get paid to be the president of the Board of Torch. I happily, with excitement, give Sadaka to support Torch. 
I don't monetize this podcast. It's not my motivation. My motivation comes simply from the fact that because so many Jews, as they were davening three times a day and saying that second bracha in the Shimon Esrei about Hashem having the compassion to resuscitate the dead, knowing that what Jews are praying for is for Hashem to have compassion and wake other Jews up like me who are asleep at the wheel, who are plugged into the matrix and not paying attention, not asking the questions. The only thing that gave me merit to break free from that was all of their prayers. And that's why if you're listening and you've been saying those prayers, as God listening, well, there's more Baal Teshuvahs coming out now than ever before as prophesied. It's because of your prayers, my friends. But there's more we can do. I'm sure every one of you know a Jew who's not keeping Shabbos. Share this episode. And I think it'll be transformative. We can provide the tools and talking points to one by one knock down every argument the Yetzirah is saying to keep a Jew from connecting to the Almighty the way they should. To not live in this world like the other nations, worried about what's happening in the economy. What about if a hurricane comes or a tornado? All these things that people worry about, getting sick. Recognize that's all coming from Hashem. That brings meaning to everything. And the path to get there is keeping Shabbos. I want to thank you all for listening. And I am personally excited for the next episode when we get to have a panel discussion with Rabbi Busco and his amazing, amazing students. And we talk through and share with all of you how to do battle with our Yetzirah, how to keep Shabbos. My friends, thank you. If you enjoyed this episode, please consider supporting Torch so they can continue to spread Torah wisdom to the world by making a donation at torchweb.org and clicking Donate in the top right corner of the page. And if you would like to get in contact with our host with comments, suggestions for future topics of learning, or questions for him or his guest rabbis, you may email him at president at torchweb.org.